generations to come. Good afternoon. It's February 8th at 12.02, and this is the Thoroughbred Daily News Writer's Room Podcast. I am your host today, Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the Thoroughbred Daily News and the co-host of the Down the Stretch Show on Sirius XM Radio. Hey, Bill. Nice to see you again. I'm Randy Moss, NBC Sports. No Zoe Cadman this week, so we'll lose some of the humor and uh, and insight from that, but uh, we'll just have to pick up the slack, Bill. Won't be easy filling in for Zoe, of course, uh, but you and I will do our very best. I want to remind you that each week, the Keeneland is the sponsor of the Thoroughbred Daily News Writers Room Podcast, and we thank them for that. All right, Randy, the big news over the weekend. It was a big afternoon for three-year-olds, most notably at Gulfstream Park. Let's start off with the race that was, you know, on paper going to be the one that you would think would have the most ramifications so far as the Kentucky Derby. That's the Holy Bull Stakes. Rocket Can wins it for Bill Mott, comes back a week later, Junior Alvarado and Bill Mott, after winning the Pegasus World Cup, they stay red hot. Um, good news, bad news. I thought his trip made the race a lot more difficult than it looks on paper. That eight posts at a mile 16th, he was hung out wide on both turns. He overcame the wide trip. The bad news is only an 82 buyer and didn't beat the world's greatest field. But considering the way he won the race, the trip, how Mott is a trainer that's obviously going to get the best out of the horse as they progress, I think he belongs in the mix. As opposed to speed figures like Thoroughgraph or Ragazin, buyer speed figures don't take ground loss or weight into consideration. Mm -hmm. And Rocket Can was four wide around the first turn and three wide around the second turn. So what I like to do, you can take that 82 buyer speed figure that he got, which is really on the low end of the scale historically for the Holy Bull. And you could probably bump it up by six or seven points and, and really look at that as like an 88 or an 89, which, you know, puts him on the fringe of the conversation. I, I, I don't think it, it still uh, makes Rocket Can uh, an elite, in my opinion, top 10 Kentucky Derby contender right now. Uh, but he is improving. He is trained by Bill Mott. That's a good thing. Uh, but no, it was not a strong field. The runner-up, the other Mott horse, uh, Shadow Dragon, it was pretty much the fact that he was just three-quarters of a length behind Rocky Can. I think was an indication that it was going to be a slow race. And the big favorite, Cyclone Mischief, finished uh, finish next to last with no excuse in the running. Uh, I texted Dale Romans this morning and asked if he had found any excuses for Cyclone Mischief physically, and he said no. So a disappointing performance for that heavy favorite. Yeah, I think we're on the same page here. I wouldn't put him in my top five or six at this point, but I think this is a horse that's probably going to get better. I think that uh, uh, slow buy, relatively slow buyer figure will lead a lot of people to kind of get off his bandwagon. But I just I think the trip, um, you know, is something that, that that people really do have to look at. I mean, I picked the horse. And going into the first turn, I thought, well, forget about it. I, I mean, he's not going to be able to overcome this. and uh, But he did, and, and it was a good race. Okay, but the horse that came out of Saturday's card at Gulfstream has got everybody excited, and for good reason, is Tappet Trice. Now, he ran a 92 buyer winning an allowance race on the card for Todd Pletcher. And boy, you know, he's got, uh, he checks a lot of boxes. Todd Pletcher, Luis Saez, $1.3 million Keeneland September purchase. Now, I know this was only allowance race versus a graded stakes race for the Bill Mott horse rocket camp. But I, I think most people, myself included, would think that the three-year-old that came out of Gulfstream on Saturday that has got the most upside and the most potential is Tappet Trice. Yeah, more on that name in a second, Tapatrice. But it, to me, there's absolutely no doubt that if Todd Pletcher had entered Tapatrice in the Holy Bull Stakes, he would have won it, and he would have won it convincingly. Right. I think he's an exciting prospect. He's got some uh, some foibles to try to overcome. In three lifetime starts, all three races, he's come away from the gate sluggishly, and it seems to be getting progressively worse. Uh, in his second start at Aqueduct back in December – 16th of a mile out of the gate. He was six lengths off of the lead. Uh, he was carried out down the stretch in that race uh, by a horse called Slip Mahoney, trained by Brad Cox. He was bumped a couple times, wide on the turn, managed to win anyway. So he really touted himself in that allowance race. And then he came back at Gulfstream. Wow. I mean, he looked really, really nice. Again, getting off to kind of a sluggish start. Now, what do they do with him? Uh, I talked to co-owner Mandy Pope, uh, the majority owner, uh, this morning. And Mandy said that most likely 
it's the Tampa Bay Derby on March the 11th, which gives the horse five weeks from the allowance race, which is the sort of in the wheelhouse of Todd Pletcher. Uh, the other alternative would be to run him a week earlier in the Fountain of Youth and keep him at Gulfstream Park. But if they do that, then they run Tapatrice up against Forte, Todd right. Pletcher's other three-year-old who is, uh, being, has been pointed for the Fountain of Youth for a long time. So those are the two options. Todd will be the one uh, to make that final decision. Now for the name, I get it's it's funny. I, I get a little anal about these things since I do television to make sure you get the name right. Okay, so it's by Tappet, obviously, out of a mare that ran for Steve Asmussen that was owned by Gainesway Farm that was named after the Italian word for female dancer, Danza Trice. That's the official correct pronunciation of the mare, Danza Trice. Mm -hmm. So Mandy Pope. I called her this morning and I said, so, here, you know, here's the thing. I've been hearing tap it uh, trice, but I told her about the name of the mayor and she said, I wasn't aware of that. She said, I actually think tap it triche sounds a little bit better <laughs> than tap it trice. And I said, well, it, it has the added, added benefit of being correct. So the name of the horse should be tap it triche. Mandy Pope said she's going to think about it. She's going to run it past the uh, the fan club and see what they have to say about it. So uh, we'll see what this horse winds up being called as we go down the Derby Trail. Uh, interesting stuff there, Randy. Okay, so we talked about the upside with Rocket Cam. Is this horse belong in your top five in, in, in the Derby? I mean, he's only, you know, it, it was a race to get excited about for Tappet Treatse or whatever the heck his name is. But um, it was just an allowance race. I, I mean, are we getting a little bit um, – you know, get a little bit carried away with this, or is this horse worth, uh, is the hype for real on this horse? I wouldn't put him in my top five at this point. Uh, I would probably put him, definitely put him in my top dozen. Uh, mm -hmm. To me, it's got a Todd Pletcher Belmont stakes written all over it. If you could get down early for the Belmont stakes, that's mm -hmm. what that's what I would like to do with uh, Tappet Triche or Tappet Trice. Uh, but he's obviously a horse with a tremendous amount of talent and We'll see how he runs in Tampa Bay and then probably the bluegrass after that. Yeah, we shall find out. So uh, Todd Pletcher will run him in the Derby. Maybe he'll run third and then come back and win. We know he's not going to run in the Preakness with that, uh, if that's the, his uh, route to uh, through the spring. Um, I want to talk about Charge It on, on Sunday, uh, another Manny Pope horse, but let's go back a day. And Erad uh, Ortiz, Randy, you know, it, it's amazing to me that not only is this guy the dominant rider in the sport right now, but he's going against his brother, Luis Saez, Javier Castellano, Tyler Gaffleone, a junior Alvarado. Uh, forgive me if, if I'm leaving somebody out there. And yet it's like a one-man show, it seems, at times, where he is, if you talk about the best riders in the country, it seems to me he's in a class by himself. And then everybody else is, is in a battle for who's the second best rider. And I, I know there were no big prices. I think the, the biggest price paid seven forty, I believe. But on Friday, he won. Not only did he win seven races, he won seven consecutive races on the Gulfstream card. Now, there have been others that have won seven, including uh, your partner on television, Jerry Bailey, Tyler Gaffleone. Luis Saez has done it twice and Paco Lopez. But nobody has ever won seven in a row. And, you know, it's just an, another amazing feat for a guy who, you know, he's still young in his career, but he's obviously going to go down as one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, that was a tremendous accomplishment. And if you look at probabilities, I'm kind of a numbers guy, which is no mm -hmm. shock. I'm a buyer speed figure guy. But out of the seven races, three were favored, one was co-favorite, and three were second betting choices. So you're talking about five to two, even money, nine to five, five to two, even money, six to five, five to two. The odds that in probability that all mm -hmm. seven horses would win are eight in 10,000 or one mm. in 1,250 now. So that means that if you get any jockey in America who rides seven consecutive races with horses at that price, the odds are still more than one in 1,000 that you're going to win all seven races. So a, a tremendous accomplishment for IRAD and obviously uh, also a really good job by his agent, Steve Rushing, to put him on all of those live horses uh, on one day at Gulfstream Park. Yeah, just an amazing feat, and he continues to amaze, picking right up where he left off from 2022 when he was Eclipse Award-winning rider. All right, so let's go now to um, Sunday's card at Gulfstream. Not three-year-olds, 
But this is an important horse, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, we haven't seen Charge It since we hadn't seen Charge It since July 2nd when he won the Dwyer by 23 lengths, getting a buyer figure, I believe that day, correct me if I'm wrong, Randy, of 111. Uh, it looked like he was well set up for the Travers, for maybe the Pennsylvania Derby. But lo and behold, he came up with some foot problems. And Todd Pletcher, it really took a, it, it took him a long time to get him good. If this horse can stay healthy, you know, what are we talking about this year? Now, the first start of the year, he comes out, wins an allowance race at Gulfstream, only by a length and a half. But I think that was a little bit of a misleading margin. He was very comfortable uh, crossing the wire to win for Luis Saez. Pletcher said afterwards the Met Mile and the Whitney are goals. Didn't uh, didn't know how he was going to go from uh, this allowance race into uh, the Met Mile. But, you know, with so few top horses from last year coming back this year to run, I mean, that older male dirt division is wide open and, and for the most part fairly weak. I could see this horse being a major player this year. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do. And another horse owned by Mandy Pope, Whisper Hill Farm, I mean, uh, and bred by Mandy Pope. So the, the horse is obviously tremendously talented. He's an exciting prospect looking forward. It's an older male division, as you pointed out, that's ripe for another star to come in and, and, and take advantage of the kind of talent that he has. Met Mile, I was told this morning, as you said, is the ultimate short-term goal right now for mm -hmm. this horse. Uh, how to get there. They're looking at the Gulfstream Park mile. It, it's coming up in a little more than a month uh, as sort of a stepping stone to get to the Met Mile. It has the benefit of being at, obviously, at Gulfstream, so I don't have to move him anywhere. Uh, so that might be where we see Charge It next. And then, obviously, after the Met Mile, they'll stretch him out. And it's a lot to look forward to there. Yeah, very exciting horse, and we'll see how he holds up. As long as he stays healthy, I mean, I literally could see him in the horse of the year picture. I, I don't see why not, you know, with so much potential there. The Keeneland Spring Meet is just around the corner, racing as it was meant to be, and tickets go on sale next Tuesday, Feb 14 at 9 a.m. You can learn more at tickets.keeneland.com during this year's upcoming Spring Meet. Keeneland will have a record stakes distribution of eight, $0.05 million for 19 stakes races. The meet will cover 15 days from April 7th through April 28th. Now here's more from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say, this is racing. This beating heart in the heart of horse country. Steady and strong beneath the roar, reminding us why, for the love of the horse, for generations to come. He was just put together like a machine, and he had a great mind. Everything about him was what you'd want. Tis the law, pops the cork in the champagne. Tis the law is going to win the first leg of the Triple Crown. I've never seen him get tired. Respect the law, tis the law. His structure is just perfect. His bone is perfect. He's left the others behind. He's going to win the run, Happy Travers. He's everything you would look for in a horse. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by Coolmore, progeny of the Coolmore slash Ashford Stud Stallions. were very active at the fairgrounds last week on Thursday in a maiden race on the grass. And Ashford sired exacta. Mendelssohn's March beat out Moe's Saturdays, Sons of Mendelssohn and Motown, uh, by disqualification, actually. Mendelssohn's nine winners this year, the most of any second crop sire, also at the fairgrounds the very next day on Friday. Daughter of Justify, named Wonderful Justice, broke her maiden for trainer Brad Cox, also at a mile and one sixteenth on the turf. Well, let's turn our attention now to California, where the feature race on Saturday, uh, I'm on a good car. There was four stakes races on Saturday at Santa Anita, but it's called the Robert B. Lewis Stakes, also known as the Bob Baffert Derby. He had all four starters in the race, 14 of the 16 nominees. And uh, right now, the stranglehold, as we've talked about, that he has on three-year-olds in California is just unbelievable. So uh, obviously, we knew uh, Baffert was going to win, but but there was uh, it was actually from a handicapping standpoint, somewhat of a competitive race on paper. I believe John White's line was uh, uh, the line maker for Sandy was seven to five, eight to five, nine to five, among the three top Baffert horses. Uh, that as they looked on paper. So who gets the job done? It's Newgate. 
to win for Bob Baffert. Uh, from a buyer standpoint, we talked about the Holy Bull being slow with an 82. Nothing too slow about this. I got a nice figure here of a 100. So um, this doesn't make him Baffert's best horse, but it does move him up on the charts. But Randy, I thought the real story, I, you know, please comment on, on what you thought of Newgate uh, as well. Uh, but let's let's hold off. I want to talk about Frankie DeTore. But first, let just give us your impressions about Newgate. Yeah. Uh, look, I've got a pretty good job with NBC Sports. It's pretty cush. You get to go to races and get paid for it. One of the challenges, though, is in the immediate aftermath of a race, trying to give an opinion, especially when you're talking about three-year-olds preparing for the Kentucky Derby, trying to give an opinion on how strong the race was or wasn't. And visually, as Newgate was coming down to the wire, trying to run down hard to figure, he was on his wrong running lead. He was late switching over to his right lead. Visually, it didn't look like it was that fast of a race. And part of that was probably knowing that hard to figure was the, you know, was sort of the long shot of the field of four. Uh, and it never run anything higher than an 80 buyer speed figure going in. So I gave the opinion immediately. And Jerry felt the same way, too, that, you know, it was OK, but it certainly, you know, wouldn't have Frankie DeTore, uh all excited about the first Saturday in May. Then later on, when we got up some breathing room toward the end of our two hour program on NBC, I got a chance to go back on my computer, fire it up during a commercial break and look at some of the other races run at, at Santa Anita on that day, Saturday. And I was like, wow this race is actually going to turn out to be a, a fast race. Hard to figure, made a huge jump forward, getting blinkers on for the very first time. Uh, and he was, you know, under a stranglehold, sitting off a Paysetter Arabian Lion, went to the lead and was just run down by Newgate. Uh, Worcester ran a, a much improved race to finish third, even though he clearly wasn't as good on the day as Newgate. Uh, so the race turned out to be a lot better than... I thought it was uh, visually, and Newgate continues to move right along. The one issue that I have about Newgate in this particular race, there has been some concern uh, uh, over the last couple of months about how far Newgate wants to run, and he's by into mischief. DeTore did a good job in the sham of getting him back off the pace and relaxed back off the pace and then make a run. With the fast pace in front of him, it helped a lot. On Saturday, the pace wasn't quite as fast, and DeTore got him back into last, got him back into fourth comfortably. But then the horse got really keen, uh, sort of borderline rank with DeTore. And he had to move him behind hard to figure to try to get him settled down on the backstretch, and he ultimately did. But when you're trying to teach a horse to relax and get him to go a mile and a quarter, you don't really want to see him being that keen during the early part of a race. So that's something that uh, that I know Baffert saw and Frankie DeTore obviously commented on it after the race that they're going to have to work on. All right. So then the other big story is Frankie DeTore himself. Now, um, he said when he came to California to ride uh, at this meet, one of the main goals was to get a Kentucky Derby mount. Unless he blows them away in the San Anita Derby, Newgate is a 25 to one shot type, I would imagine in the Kentucky Derby, but uh, he does have DeTore uh, aboard. I don't think that's going to change. Some people say, well, if, if Baffert can't train the horse in the Kentucky Derby, would a new trainer put someone else on? No, it, that, that's not going to happen. Now, the the, uh, the problem for DeTore, and it's a nice problem to have, is that same day they run the 2000 Guineas in England, and he's got a, a mount on a horse, a group one winner over there by the name of Chaldean. Now, I haven't talked to Frankie about this, um, and, and I think uh, the people that have, he said, let's just take it one thing at a time. But I'm guessing that because of his career, what he's accomplished and what he wants to do going out with this being his last year, I think he'd much rather ride in the Kentucky Derby, even on a 25 to one shot, than ride in the 2000 Guineas, a race he's won, I believe, three times. You know, it, that's sort of what he's been all about coming to the States, doing this farewell tour. I mean, you know, how many, you can win a bunch of 2000 Guineas and, 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 and you know, it's just going to be one of, of many, many, many good wins in his career. If he somehow could win the Kentucky Derby, I mean, my goodness. So I'm guessing if he stays healthy and continues to progress, that Newgate's rider in the Kentucky Derby will be Frankie DeTore. 
Yeah, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Well, so well, I see you don't agree, Mr. Moss. <laughs> Look, uh, I, I actually have a higher opinion of Newgate than you do. Uh, you said okay. 25 to 1. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all the way he's progressing to see Newgate be one of the, you know, five betting choices mm -hmm. at the Kentucky Derby. But even so, uh, Judmont Farm, who owns Shaldine, has come out and said they are very keen on having Frankie ride the horse in the 2000 Guineas. Now, no, Frankie's never won the Kentucky Derby. He's only had one previous mount on China visit uh, 23 years ago in 2000 for Godolphin. Uh, he, and he has won the 2000 Guineas on three different occasions, but he has a very close relationship with Judd Mott. He rode Enable for Judd Mott in her back-to-back -back wins in the Arc de Triomphe. Um, Andrew Balding has said he really wants to have Dottori on the horse. And this is a situation where when Dottori goes back to Europe and goes back to England for the rest of 2023, he's going to be relying pretty heavily on uh, clients like Judmont Farm to put him on the very best horses. And not only did they say they're keen to have him ride Shaldine in the 2000 Guineas, but they're also keen to use him on many of their other top horses in his farewell season of 2023. So when you factor all of that in, I think it's going to be very difficult for Detori uh, to say no to Judmont and to say no to Shaldine in the 2000 Guineas. Interestingly, in the aftermath of the Lewis win aboard Newgate, when NBC talked to him, that question was sort of posed to him. And in Frankie Detori fashion, he's a smart guy. He danced around it. Uh, that would have been a perfect opportunity, I think, for Frankie to say, you know, I really, really am looking forward to the possibility of riding in the Kentucky Derby, but uh, he he was very noncommittal. Yeah. So I would lean toward Frankie riding in the 2000 Guineas, even if Newgate is one of the top five. Right. So, I mean, this is just me talking and me guessing, but to I think Frankie's last year is all about what I'm going to tell my grandchildren. Yeah. And 20 years from now, if he tells them that he won his fourth 2000 Guineas, in 2023, they're going to yawn. He says he won the Kentucky Derby then. Oh, boy. So anyways, that's that's just my we have different reads on this. We'll see. Uh, again, a nice problem to have. And, and by the way, uh, we're talking about Baffert. I just want to mention quickly that the uh, Triple Crown nominations came out uh, this week. Brad Cox tops list with 38. Todd Pletcher second with 36 and Bob Baffert third with 29. So the uh, the Kentucky Derby, as no surprise, the, the nominees are, are dominated. I think somebody said that among the three of them, they have 28% of all the horses nominated for um, the Triple Crown. So uh, it is going to be an interesting uh, spring, but it looks like it's going to be dominated by some of these super stables. And of course, we haven't mentioned it yet, but it's 300-pound gorilla in the room who will be training these Bob Baffert horses at Louisville for the Kentucky Derby. And when will they have to go into the care of those other trainers? That's what's interesting. That's still out there. They're still waiting uh, as we tape this for a judgment uh, from the uh, from the judge that heard the appeal as to whether uh, Baffert will have to move his horses by the end of February, as Churchill Downs wants him to, or whether he will be suspended at all from the Kentucky Derby uh, barred in 2023. So still uh, some legalities left to be sorted out in that situation. Well, let me uh, put my two cents in with this. And again, I, I don't know anything. Maybe you do. But um, if he loses the, the case and he cannot train the horses, why wouldn't the logical choice to be go back to Tim Yachtin, a good trainer, loyal deputy, did this for him last year, didn't do anything wrong. He did, wasn't lucky enough to win the Kentucky Derby, but you know you can't fault anything that he did. I think it'd be a pretty easy choice. And last year was a combination of Tim Yachtin and Sean McCarthy, uh, guys that Baffert has had a previous relationship with that both worked for Baffert at one point or another. So I'm just guessing, and again, I don't know anything either, that, that uh, those would be the two most likely suspects. The TDN Riders Room is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association, the PHBA. Having a PA bred or PA sired PA bred is a good way to recoup your initial cash outlay on horses. There are two-year-old races, of course, restricted and open. $1.65 million in two-year-old stakes purses for PA breds or PA sired PA breds, including $1 million in that stallion series that we've been talking about. Also, up to 50% breeders' awards and 40% in owner bonuses. For example, last year's leading PA sired PA bred two-year-old 
Flor de Sombra made $320,000, but received $120,000 in breeder awards. We'll be right back after this message from the PHBA. Here in Pennsylvania, we're proud of our breeding program, the best in North America, but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry. The PA Horse Breeders Association is funding cutting-edge research at Penn Vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds. And we endorsed the SAFE Act to help protect the most vulnerable horses. Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare programs set up by our horsemen's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. Now it's time for the Fastest Horse of the Week, brought to you by Windstar Stallions. Which stallion was a dominant winner of the Grade 1 Clark in 148.84, earning a 105 buyer speed figure? Or ran 10 triple-digit buyer speed figures, including 109, 106, 105, etc., and nine in a row? Stopped the clock in the Stephen Foster at 147.30, two one-hundredths of a second off the track record. The answer? Tom's Data whose first yearlings sell this year. It's a whole lot of fast for a stud fee of just $10,000 at Windstar. Now, the fastest horse of the week, a horse that we have already talked about in terms of buyer speed figures, Charge It, who earned a 102 buyer for that allowance win at Gulfstream Park on Sunday. Owned by Whisper Hill Farm, as we said, trained by Todd Pletcher. Charge It made his comeback a very impressive one and a horse that we'll be looking forward to seeing down the road, ultimately, we hope, in the Met Mile at Belmont Park on Belmont Stakes Weekend. The Green Group Guest of the Week is sponsored by The Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. Over 500 clients in the horse business, they have proven strategies to save you taxes. Learn more about how they can help you at www.greenco.com. And we welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week, Amr Zidane. He is the co-owner of Country Grammar, the owner of Taba, the owner of Arabian Lion, the owner of Medina Spirit across the wire, first in the Kentucky Derby. So many good horses, Amr, but the one that everyone is talking about now, for good reason, is Arabian Night. He's number one on most people's polls after an explosive win in the Southwest Stakes. I know I was blown away by the race. I know most people were. I bet you Zoe was as well. What were your impressions of the Southwest? Uh, we were just uh, we were just hoping he would show up. I mean, he's uh, well. First of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, appreciate your time and, and having me on board. Uh, we just hoped hoped he would re- he would repeat uh, his uh, his first time out in Keeneland, and it was uh, the conditions were a bit challenging. You know, it was raining. There was a travel, but I guess we were trying to sort of fast track his educational process. And uh, and I commend Bob for making the call and uh, and actually taking him there and uh, and showing us the performance uh, he has uh, he has uh, displayed. Was there any ever any doubt with him? Because it took him quite a while to get to the races, and everyone turned around when Bob took him to Keeneland to break his maiden. They're like, "Why is he bringing a maiden on Breeders' Cup?" Then <laughs> I I know why he's bringing a maiden because he wants to show off, and he's simply shown off in in each of his two starts. Like he's just shown some brilliance that I don't think we've seen from any other three-year-old this year. He has. He's a special horse, and you really don't know what you have until you actually see them on the track and, and perform in the afternoon. Um, again, Bob uh, Bob obviously is, is the greatest trainer that in, in, in the history of horse racing and in dirt as well, so he knows. He knows a good horse when he has one, and ever since we saw him in the sale, Bob was quite adamant that he is a good horse, and hence the price tag that, that came along with it. But to actually uh, be this courageous and take him off out of his comfort zone in Santa Anita, that's where he trains, that's where he's based, and he was a two-year-old at the time, and sustain the travel and, and a new a new stable and new environment, I think that took a lot of reading from the trainer and a lot of uh, performance and gutsy performance from the horse. So we, we were glad everything came together. When you go to the sales at the end of the day, you're going to come away with not a lot of horses, but you're going to come away with some very expensive horses for the most part. Obviously, Medina Spirit, one of the exceptions, $1.3 million for this horse. When you and the team go to the sales, uh, Bob, Gary Young, etc., is winning the Kentucky Derby the foremost goal? 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of our, our, our game plan, right? So the way we do it is uh, we have our scouts. Um, uh, they, they're there, uh, Gary, uh, Donato, and, and, and the team as well, uh, Charlie as well. Uh, and then everything kind of reports back to Bob. And then uh, Bob and I have a sit down and we decide uh, what are the right horse that fit our program. Uh, our program is specifically tailor-made for the Kentucky Derby. So every horse we target is a is a Kentucky Derby hopeful in our in our in our imagination, if you will. Uh, now, obviously, you can't get a winner every year, but if you if you fall short of that, then you have the rest of the year uh, of a great campaign. I mean, we call it the Arrogate Trail, if you will, uh, or the Flightline Trail, if you will, and then from there you can get off to the Middle East. I look at the, obviously I love horses and, and I've been around horses for a long time, both on the polo side and on the racing side more recently than polo, but I have an appreciation to a good horse. I can kind of tell when a good horse is a good horse. Um, so, so that's kind of how we, we look at it. We look at it as a portfolio, right? I mean, we don't care if the horse costs 35,000 or costs 3.5 million or 4 million at the end of the day. It's a portfolio. A good horse would carry the whole the whole portfolio for any given year's vintage, because that's how we look at it as an investment portfolio of vintage 2022, vintage 2021, etc. Uh, so that's kind of the first the first box. The second box is um, we're focused strictly on the racing angle, right? So we don't really venture out into the breeding side. Uh, there's a lot of it's a different. It's a different. Um, it's a, it's a different business, so to say. So if you sort of calculate all the costs and the weight and the anticipation and and the praying that goes into breeding a mare to a stallion, and hopefully you're hoping that you get a you get a stallion or or, or, or a great filly, or sorry, you get a, a great colt or a great filly, there that equals to money. So we don't mind paying a premium, short circuit, all that guy. Amma, talk to me about your team. How did this team start? How did you hook up with Gary? How did you hook up with Bob? I mean, this is a team that is just seemingly plucked from different places. I mean, look, it's, I mean, it's just God's God's work. You know, it's just we feel really blessed, and uh, it's it's just good intentions and wanting to basically all pull together in the same direction. So this whole thing. Came about uh, obviously with Bob. I, I, I met Bob uh, at the Dubai World Cup. I think it was oh, I forgot like 2017, 2018, and we sort of we sort of had a, had small talk. And you know, Bob is very courteous. I mean, he just talks to everybody, and we were just talking horses. And we swapped numbers, and we said, "Let's stay in touch and see what we could do together." So I was kind of on my way out of the sport. Um, Gary, I met through Victor Espinosa, and I met obviously Victor through my my uh, my small partnership with in California Chrome. So we built up the relationship. He, he became a good friend. Was at my wedding and whatnot. So we kept that rapport, that communication. So sure enough, uh, he made an introduction uh, to Gary, and we just kept talking for a couple of years. It wasn't until really I met Bob or re met Bob again. Uh, I had, to, I mean, it's just all a coincidence. I happened. To have to rush back home, and I had to catch a flight from Dubai Airport. And I walk. I was as I was walking out of the terminal. Bob walks in the terminal. I was like, Bob, what are the odds? So he had a bit of time, and I had a little bit of time, and we just basically sat down. And I kid you not, on a on a on a on a Kleenex tissue, we sort of we just we just start, started imagining, and started drawing up everything we would want to do. I mean, my ask was two triple crowns. He was like, I hope I live that long. <laughs> So, so that was that was that was um, God. That was uh, February. I think it was Feb twenty twenty two. He was on his way to Saudi as well. So, we drew up that plan, and then obviously here comes uh, shopping season. It was shifted because of COVID. Um, Gary was 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 there, uh, and uh, and we just uh, started buying horses. And the secret the secret uh, recipe here is buying. Good horses, fast horses, because speed wins races. And obviously, when you have uh, the trainer and the experience in the form of Bob, it makes things a lot easier. And and that's 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 the formula, really. And obviously, we, we lean a lot on on Bob's team. Uh, Bob has an amazing 
uh, team assemble in the form of Donato Lani. He needs no introduction as well from me. He's been really instrumental, obviously, in advising as well from the outside, inside, and 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 I, I carry much respect for Donato and his ability as as, a, as an integral part of our team. Now, obviously, the Kentucky Derby, as you said, is very important to you, but so is the Saudi Cup. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you are from Saudi Arabia. It's your home race. Uh, I was wondering, uh, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but when you have a star three-year-old like Arabian Night and some of the others you've had, um, is there much less incentive to retire them at the end of their three-year-old years because the next big goal is right in front of you with the Saudi Cup? Taba being an example of that. True. I mean, look, I'm from Saudi. I also serve on the on the equestrian authority, which is the supreme equestrian authority, so to say. So we oversee the whole equestrian space. So I feel this attachment, obviously, to my home country and wanting to showcase the best horses that North America has to offer. And certainly what I do uh, as Zidane Racing own as well. But again, the way we run the operation, it's strictly a North American operation. It's a U.S. based operation. And what we and the way we make decisions are a strictly and solely done by the trainer and then second we really take in consideration what what is good for the horse the horse usually tells us what he or she at the end of the day uh would like to do uh, usually taking two-year-olds into saudi arabia as promising as they may be or to the middle east in general to dubai for that instance is is a tall order it's a big ask right and we would like to be conservative with our horses, specifically when we have really good horses that would potentially deliver our aspiration or our program, which is to show up on the first Saturday of May. So that's kind of the decision-making process. However, what would fit perfectly in our program is once they turn into their four-year-old uh, campaign season, uh, a case in point would be uh, Taba, for instance, he's graduating from three to four. So that would be an ideal, ideal spot. Uh, and I think that's what we kind of what we're kind of what we will probably stick to. Now, going back to the Saudi Derby or the UAE Derby, um, I rarely see the top two year olds in, in, in North America coming in because it's just too early, too much, too soon for them. So we're very conservative unless we have a two year old. And I, I hate saying this, but we think is is more of a end of the year sort of horse as opposed to a Kentucky Derby horse, then the decision lies on the trainer whether he would like to take the risk, the calculated risk, and sending him into the Saudi Derby and staying out the Kentucky Derby. Mm -hmm. Amma, you've won the Derby, you've lost the Derby. I mean, you have experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Some people would have just picked up all their toys, put them back in their buggy and just disappeared after that. What keeps <laughs> bringing you back? Look, I won the Derby, right? But I haven't <laughs> lost it yet. <laughs> right? So there's a big yet there. Uh, no, right now we're in the pellet process and we are, we are, we are fully engaged. And look, I mean, uh, uh, let the chips fall where, where, where they may. I think we've got a great team. And I honestly think we have a solid case. Once the facts are objectively reviewed, I think everything will be reinstated. And that's kind of my prerogative and my conviction, if you will. So that's one. Two, I firmly believe everything happens for a reason, right? I mean, I, I just never felt any ill feelings or any animosity towards Churchill Downs or towards uh, anyone for that matter. It's, 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 it's a sport. It's part of the sport. But the blessings that come out of it, and, 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 I, and, I, really, and I really believe that everything ordained by God is there for a reason. This this sort of uh, um, issue has really brought the team together, right? And it has really demonstrated to us that in tough times and under stress, uh, things shine like diamond, if you will. I know it sounds cliche, but that's kind of <laughs> kind of where we are right now. So, so A, the team just really stuck together. And B, look, it's, it's an amazing sport. I had a bit of a health scare in the summer. And, and, and again, I don't mean to sound too, uh, too, too sentimental here, but the only thing that really, I mean, one amongst other things that kept me going is, is the love of my horses and, and it's the racing, uh, activities we have. And, uh, and just after surgery, calling my first call, believe it or not, was to Bob, say, Bob, how are we doing? And the whole team, the way we came together. So that's something I'll never forget. So it's that. And obviously 
once you're up there on the podium and carrying the, the Kentucky Derby uh, trophy, I mean, that feeling is difficult to describe. You just want to do it again and again and again. So that's the plan. <laughs> are you, uh, I'm sorry, are you ever going to have a breeding operation? Because I know you sold Princess Noor mm -hmm. at the, at the Fazic sale. Is this going forward going to be your mantra? You're just buying to race. You're not going to, you know, buy the farm and breed your horses and, and get bigger. I think I'm too young for that right now, right? <laughs> Get on a rocking chair on the porch and watch my kids. And not not to belittle not to belittle any of the, the phenomenal operations that are out there. Look, I mean, right now, um, again, I approach it from a business point of view. I would love to have a breeding operation. I would love to have the the Coolmore operation, the Windstars, the Spendthrifts, the Lanes End, and what have you, the Judmonts. Uh, but I think I think I'm, it's a bit too early for us, really. Uh, I enjoy the sales. I enjoy potentially creating stallions, right? So I, I really love that. So it will it will probably be a long ways away until until we get into that. Now I'm not going to deny that it's not on my mind, but I think for the foreseeable future, between now and five years, I think we're just going to stick to the racing, and then and then we'll see where that takes us. I mean, let's switch gears for a moment and talk about we've been spending so much time and, and, and well-deserved on Arabian night. But what about Taba? Here's a horse who had a phenomenal year, three grade ones. You got to be very satisfied with everything that he accomplished. Unfortunately, he didn't run his best race in the Kentucky Derby. The Eclipse Award race for the three-year-old with Epicenter was one of the most closely contested of all Eclipse Award races. Uh, number one, did you expect to win? And number two, were you disappointed that you didn't? Well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate uh, Ron Winchell for an amazing horse. Uh, and, and I, and I walked, up, walked up to him, shook his hand in the, in the breeder, Breeders' Cup. And I was, really, I, was, I was really hurt to see the horse hurt and, and retire early. He was just a phenomenal, phenomenal colt. And, and, uh, and uh, I congratulate him for that. And I thank him, obviously, for, uh, for, for a gun runner as well. What a, what, a, what a phenomenal stallion who obviously gave us Taba. Um, with regards to – sorry, what was the question again? Um, were, did you expect to win, and how disappointed were you that you didn't win the Eclipse Award? Oh, okay, so did I expect the Eclipse? Did that? Did I expect to win the Eclipse Award? No, I did not. I was very hopeful. Okay. Um, unfortunately, the Eclipse Award has just proven to be, for me, in my view, very, um, very political, if you will. Why? And that's not to t take away from anyone else. Last year, we had the best horse. A horse that, a horse that won the Kentucky Derby and went around to win, obviously the Awesome again. I think it was it was Awesome again. It was a Grade One. Um, showed up phenomenally in the Breeders' Cup. Came second to Nexco. Hands down, beat uh, all the members of his crop. Right, essential quality. He he beat essential quality any given day, any given race. And with that, we did not win the Eclipse Award this year. I think we had, I think we won kind of three and a half grade ones. The Haskell was kind of half a grade one because we've almost, almost had it. But um, look, I didn't expect to win the, uh, the, the Eclipse Award, but I thought we might have at least a lot more votes than we got, right? And I, and I thought we should have had been more than the 66 or 60 votes we got just to make it a bit of a closer race. I don't remember a horse that had won three grade ones that hasn't at least gotten more votes or let alone win the, win the Eclipse Award. So I, there is that uh, element of disappointment. And uh, I think there needs to be, um, there needs to be more, uh, more reputed um, uh, Oscars, if you will, for horses other than the Eclipse Award. And that's something I will definitely advocate and see if uh, Saudi Arabia could potentially adopt one that would eclipse the Eclipse Awards. Mm. What's in the pipeline for, you've got several young horses coming forward. I know there's one that I fell in love with at the Saratoga sale. Uh, Quality Road out of, I think I saw a pretty cat, now a two-year-old. Uh, can you give us an update on this one and, and where, where where is this one likely headed? Uh, you, are you referring to the Colt or the Philly? Because we have two. We have a Colt on the Philly. The, I think the Colt. The, the Colt. The Colt looked amazing. And to be honest, I was... Uh, uh, and the Philly, uh, and the Philly, both of them actually. Yeah, both of them are, are with uh, Mr. Eisman, the Barry Eisman's right now. Okay. And, uh, and Donato uh, visited with them, reported back obviously to Bob, and um, they're doing quite well. I mean, the, we're uh, 
They, they, they looked the part. A quality road has been an, a phenomenal stallion. So we're very hopeful. So they're doing what they need to do. And hopefully we'll see them uh, in Santa Anita, uh, perhaps sometime summer or pre-summer-ish. And, uh, and let's see. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're doing phenomenally well. What, what do you do for fun? You're at the polo club. Do you play polo? I mean, what does Armand Zidane do for fun? <laughs> well, I play polo. So, so that's, that's, uh, that's, that's something my, my heart said. And I obviously chair the, the Saudi Polo Federation in Saudi Arabia. So, I mean, I'm responsible for developing, promoting, and regulating the sport. So I do that. I play soccer. I play, uh, I play, I play, I picked up paddle just recently. I play, um, anything with a racket, a squash. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm into sports a whole lot. So I do that. I love to work. I mean, we've got we've got an amazing setup back in Saudi Arabia, and I do have uh, uh, business interests in the U.S. Obviously, I was born in California. My parents went to went to school there, and I went to school there. So I have a lot of business interests there that I consider fun, and they just uh, really give me a lot of uh, satisfaction and uh, a lot of en- enjoyment. I can't wait to see you back in Southern California. I can't wait to be back soon, and hopefully. Prior to Breeders' Cup, maybe we'll see if I make it in the summer. So, I mean, I, I, I really miss it, and I can't wait to be there again for sure. Well, Amir Zidane, thank you so much for joining us here this week on the TDN Writers Room podcast. Uh, congratulations on all your success, and good luck going forward with a very exciting three-year-old colt by the name of Arabian Night. Thanks again. The Green Group Guest of the Week is sponsored by the Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry. As this week's guest of the week, Amr Zidane will receive a free one-hour tax consultation. Learn more at www.greenco.com. Be right back after this message from the Green Group. Why do the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisor? We simply save them money and know how to make them more successful. Over the past 40 years, founder Leonard Green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. His in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. With some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year-round, there's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky Brats. Breed them. Raise them race them. We all win. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the Kentucky Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders, KTOB. Pegasus World Cup champions were bred in Kentucky. Art Collector, first of all, the seventh Kentucky bred to win the Pegasus World Cup in its eight-year history. Then there's also Atone, who won the Pegasus World Cup turf, Kentucky bred, And Queen Goddess, who won the Pegasus World Cup Philly and Mare turf, also a Kentucky bred. And speaking of those nominations for the Kentucky Derby, 369 nominees, 285 Kentucky breds. Hey, Randy, going back to the seven consecutive wins for Irod Ortiz, has that happened before in racing? And if so, how many times? Yeah, I just got a uh, an email from uh, Equibase, uh, Rhonda Norby. Thanks to Rhonda and the crew at Equibase for running the stats. I asked if any jockey had done it uh, previously to IRED on a single day at a track, not you know going from one day mm-hmm. to the next. And it had been done actually five other times, twice at Marquee Downs in Canada, uh, once in 93, once in 2001 by riders named Tim Moccasin and Jack Wash. It happened at the Brockton Fair in 2001, a jockey named Howard Lancy. And David Gall did it twice at his stomp, old stomping grounds, Fairmont Park, back in 1981 and 1989. So Irad becomes the sixth jockey. Now, this is since stats go back. That's 1976. Remember, right. this is thoroughbred racing and not Major League Baseball. So we can't go back to the old, old days where it may have been done before that even. But since 76, I read the sixth guy to do it. 
And uh, he obviously the list of tracks. I mean, those are a lot of kind of minor league tracks, and nobody had, and among that group really did it at, at a major league track. Hey, let's segue to a, a, another story, uh, something I wrote this week for the Thoroughbred Daily News, and uh, it really has resonated with the readers. It was the most widely read story for the week. Um, I believe it was the most widely read story this year, and it's because people like to pull their hair out. I think now there's uh, Randy. Uh, first of all, you've been so good with uh, Tappet Trice. Uh, Bell Gambi, G-A-M-B-E. I believe that's Italian for beautiful legs. All right, Maestro, how do you pronounce that? <laughs> I looked up Tapatrice. I've got no idea about Gambe and beautiful legs in Italy, so I'll leave okay. that up to you. I'll, I'll, All right, I'll so let's call it Bell Gambe. But anyways, th- this is a two-year-old owned by Peter Brandt, a half-sister to Uni by Dubawi, so a half-sister to a champion by one of the greatest sires in the history of racing. Obviously, she's worth a fortune, and they're very high on her and really expecting uh, big things. Uh, Brandt shipped her over on January 13th from Ireland, where she was uh, she began she was foaled in Ireland, and um, lo and behold, they came came back from the according to the USDA, she had a test positive for something called Doreen, D-O-U-R-I-N-E. Now, first of all, let's look at some of the, the facts, and I've never heard of this either, but what I learned writing the story, Doreen does not exist, just flat out does not exist in Ireland. That's number one. Number two, it is a venereal disease that can only come about when horses are being bred. Uh, she's a two-year-old filly. Obviously, she's never been bred or uh, you know anything. <laughs> she's never been bred. That's crazy. So you would say to yourself, well, okay, Somebody's got to look at this and say, this makes absolutely no sense. That's a bad test. Go on about your business. Instead, the USDA has still to, to this date, uh, we're coming up on one month since she arrived, stuck her in quarantine at a facility mm-hmm. at Churchill Downs. And, and during a, a very important time in the growth and development of a young foal. So it, you kind of look, you can look at it two different ways. Uh, you know, the USDA, and I didn't talk to them, but they could argue, hey, rules are rules. She tested positive for this thing. We can't let her out of quarantine. But everybody else is just saying, can you please use some common sense? And doesn't that fit factor into the equation? Um, on February 12th, she's going to be tested again. If she does not pass the test, then Peter Brandt has, obvious, uh, has two choices, one of which is to ship her back to Ireland or the horse must be euthanized. Obviously, he's not going to let that happen. And would ship her back to Ireland. But uh, Randy, uh, you know, it's just, again, that's why people don't like government sometimes. Just make dumb decisions. And, you know, this, this Philly is obviously fine. Why wouldn't they just let her race and, and come into the United States? Yeah, I wish Biden had covered that in the State of the Union address. Um, look, you quoted Larry Bramlage <laughs> in your article, and Bramlage thought it was ridiculous, and that's good enough for me. One of the things that really struck me in what you wrote uh, obviously, the odds of a two-year-old filly uh, contracting this venereal disease, which almost always happens during a breeding process, not to mention the fact that she was in Ireland where it doesn't even exist, makes the odds that she would actually have it infinitesimal. But there is, as you pointed out, there is some organisms that can exist in the horse body that can result in a false positive test. And there, are, there is a medication or medications that you can give to a horse to take care of these organisms in the horse's body causing a false positive test. And the USDA would not allow the filly to be treated with that medication, which that really blew me away. You know, there's an old saying in horse racing that goes back at least 50 years, maybe longer than that. I think a horse owner came up with it. Racing is not a game for men in short pants. Uh, it, it could be women as well now, but there is so much frustration already and so much disappointment built into being a horse owner, especially at the level of Peter Brandt. To have something like this just pile on on top of it uh, is really unfortunate, and hopefully this can be cleared up ASAP. Yeah, let's hope that this all gets straightened out and she'll be fine. Send on to Chad Brown and, and be able to uh, resume training for her career. Okay, so uh, this point in the show, we usually go over the big races, the three-year-old uh, preview of the weekend, and uh, a couple interesting races among the males. The Sam F. Davis, the prep for the Tampa Bay Derby, will be run at Tampa Bay Downs. Uh, Randy, I'm going to hit you up for the ex- uh, pronunciation again. I've never known how to pronounce it. W and L, the Remsen winner? Is that w- right? Yeah. 
WNL. All right. WNL won the race. WNL, okay. Yeah. Uh, Pretty impressively, it was on a sloppy racetrack. It was basically a match race with a horse called Arctic Arrogance, uh, who will be coming back in the Withers. We'll talk about him in Mm -hmm. a second. But uh, it was, uh, they went from start to finish, uh, head and head together, basically. And WNL edged away from Arctic Arrogance at the end, earned a nice 90 buyer speed figure. And they've been looking at the Sam Davis. Uh, trainer Danny Gargan has as the starting point for WNL's three-year-old career or three-year-old season. Once you've gone a mile and an eighth in the Remsen, you don't really want to back up to a, a you know one-turn mile at Gulfstream mm-hmm. or you know. So and also it's a speed-favoring racetrack at Gulfstream. So I think they chose Tampa Bay Downs and the Sam uh, Sam Davis for that reason. But he's a son of good magic. He's out of a a sprinter, a filly named Wild Gams that won more than a million dollars in her career, but obviously the good magic curdling influence is taking effect because the horse has already won in a mile and a furlong and he should be a pretty solid favorite. A couple other names, uh, Litigate from Todd Pletcher Barn will be in there and Classic Legacy, a half brother to Art Collector is also expected. The Withers was supposed to be run last week at Aqueduct, but we had that cold snap and the freezing cold temperatures. Uh, and they um, postponed the race till this week. Arctic Arrogance, as you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, second in the Remsen and second in the Jerome will be the likely favorite there. But, but Randy, the race everybody's looking forward to is the Suncoast Stakes on Saturday at Tampa Bay Downs. It features the return of Eclipse Award winner Wonder Wheel. And you think, okay, you're gonna uh, Mark Cassie's going to ship a champion into Tampa Bay Downs in an ungraded race. It's going to be a walkover. She's going to be one to nine and, and, and run against a bunch of tomato cans but not, not so fast. Julia Shining is also expected to go in there. And she is uh, the Todd Pletcher trainee, the Demoiselle winner, who is a full sister to Malathat. So uh, the little old Suncoast Stakes is going to be, I think, to this point in uh, the year, the most important prep so far for the Kentucky Oaks. Um, Wonder Wheel's a real deal. Um, Julia Shining is a horse that has a ton of potential. I don't think she's looked quite as good so far in her career as Wonder Wheel has. So my early pick would be the obvious chalk and Wonder Wheel. Yeah, it's a very interesting race. Uh, let, let's take each horse individually quickly. I mean, for Wonder Wheel, what, what's interesting about her to me is the total difference in running style between the Alcibiades and the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. In the Alcibiades, she went wire to wire with Tyler Gaffling on and set up relatively demanding pace and was so game in holding off Chop Chop during the last part of that race to win the Alcibiades. And then she came back and everyone was expecting her to show speed in the Breeders' Cup uh, Juvenile Phillies. And Tyler Gaffleon was widely credited for a change in tactics. But it wasn't really that. I mean, you can credit him for the ground-saving ride and slipping through on the inside all the way around to win it. But he was actually urging a Wonder Wheel during the first part, and she wanted nothing to do with it. She dropped back to 11th in a 13-horse field before she made a really eye-catching move around the second turn and and went on and beat a pretty nice horse and leave no trace. So which Wonder Wheel are we going to see? And then with Julia Shining, all the potential in the world, her career debut at Keeneland, she was climbing down the back stretch when kickback was hitting her, dropped way back, won anyway. But then she came back and won in her next start in the in the Demoiselle 30 minutes before WNL won the Remsen, but in a time that was 2.1 seconds one seven seconds slower than the Remsen. So, so far, Julia Shining has all of this potential, but in numbers, they have been very, very mediocre speed figures. And the Demoiselle speed figure has subsequently been verified by some of the horses that finished behind Julia Shining that have come back to run slowly once again. So how good is Julia Shining? That remains to be seen. And I have a feeling we'll find out a lot about that in the Suncoast. TD and Riders Room is brought to you by XBTV, and the workout of the week is Legendary, a daughter of Justify, owned by Windstar Farm, trained by Todd Pletcher. This was a Jan 21 workout at Palm Beach Downs, 102.95. She is scheduled to run Sunday at Gulfstream Park in the six furlong seventh race. That workout was one of seven timed workouts that Legendary has had at Palm Beach Downs. We'll be right back after this message all the thrills fraction of the bills experience the power of the partnership 
change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TD and Riders Room also brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie among people surrounding high-class horses and stakes action for a fraction of the cost of trying to do it on your own. You can learn more at westpointtb.com. West Point had two winners at Fairgrounds last week. Thursday, Western Command broke his maiden for trainer Greg Foley and... Also on Thursday, SWAT Analysis took an allowance race for trainer Mark Cassie. SWAT Analysis is co-owned by West Point, DJ Stable, and the Afuya Alex guys. Cash is King, LLC. Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my partners, Randy Moss and Zoe Cadman, our producer, Patty Wolf, our associate producer, Katie Petruniak, our mascot, Lucy there. She has, hi, Lucy. Hasn't moved a muscle, has she? <laughs> So also our uh, Katie Petruniak, our associate producer, and our editors, Anthony LaRocca, Aliyah LaRocca, and Nathan Wilkinson. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll talk to you next week here on Thoroughbred Daily News Writers and Podcasts.